Hello, and welcome back to the XX Mormon podcast, which is just such a great name for a show because that's exactly what we're doing here. And uh, I'm Elder Jackson, spelt with three X's. I bet it's not in all the places that you think. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, (laughs) uh, and I'm joined here today by Bishop Jensen. Uh, How are you doing, Bishop? Good. Thanks for having me here. (laughs) So... I'm really excited for this conversation. We're going to talk about what God does all day. This is probably the most vital conversation to our salvation that we could possibly be having right now, is what is it that God does all day? Now, Bishop Jensen, you hold priesthood keys over me. <laughs> yeah. You're, yes. you're in charge, right? You're, right. You are I'm... the person I look to for wisdom. <laughs> you are my judge in Israel. <laughs> I, I need you to tell me. Yeah. What does God do all day? Well, that's a good thought, a good question. So like we learn in the gospel principles manual that eternal life is a type of life that God lives. So when we gain eternal life and exaltation, we will live the same kind of existence that God has. We will become like God. So when I do like, job interviews, one good question I get asked by applicants is, tell me what a typical day looks like at your workplace or in this position. And do you know what, like a a good question I usually ask just to, people can write a lot of things on the resume. So a good question I'll ask is, you know, on the flip side, why don't you walk me through what you did in an average day at your last position? And then kind of make sure that the things they're describing match up with the things they put on their resume, right? Um, so I think it's a good question to kind of say, God, like if this is a job we're going to take on for all eternity, what does a typical day look like? So looking at the scriptures, like there's a few things we learn and understand about God's do's and don'ts. And that can kind of guide us into what God does all day. So one thing we know is that God knows everything and there's no, no thing except he knows it. So God has perfect knowledge. So with perfect knowledge, Comes perfect responsibility. Perfect responsibility. Exactly. (laughs) Thanks. So if you know everything that's going to happen and you know the exact right thing that you have to do in every circumstance, there's another scripture in the Book of Mormon that says like that if God didn't do everything perfectly, he would cease to be God, right? Or if he didn't keep the commandments, he would cease to be God. So God is in this state of being where he knows everything that's going to happen and everything that he could do and everything that is right for him to do. And he has to do everything that he knows that is right. Otherwise he ceases to exist. So why do we need God then? Right. The, the <laughs> youth, the youthifro dilemma, right? Right. Have you heard of youthifro? Uh, is he, wait, youthifro. It was, it was a Socrates, uh, dialogue socratic yeah, yeah. dialogue i've i've read it um yeah but i'm trying so it's to remember like if, how it went is god righteous because he follows all the right rules or are rules right because god makes them yes yeah and then if the rules if god's righteous because he follows the right rules why worship god why not worship what god follows because those things have bounds on what god can and can't do right right Right. So we like we learn in the Book of Mormon that there are bounds on what God can and can't do. And there's certain things that if he did do them, if he didn't keep his own commandments, then he would cease to exist. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you can see from the Book of Mormon that there is a righteousness that exists outside of God. 
And I have asked this question to members of the church, just, you know, it's an old dilemma. What do you think? And what they say is, is that there might be a good that's greater than God that exists outside of God, but God is the conduit to that greater good. So that's why I follow him. Well, but then that's why we follow (laughs) Jesus, because Jesus is the conduit to God, right? Right. Is it just like like Jesus is the upline? Yeah, it's just... (laughs) It's one big MLM. Like we're all Jesus's downlines, right? And right. He's, uh, yeah, he's bringing to pass the eternal life and immortality of man through us. Wait, what the heck? Is that what missions are about? That's where we That's, go and get our downline? You're building, you're building your downline. Yeah, you never built your downline. And that's why you have no eternal increase. <laughs> I'm never going to get that passive income. With, with you're you're never going to become a diamond level member, oh, or whatever, it. or double a emerald, ce- a celestial, a, yeah. a, a third tier celestial <laughs> member. I did. Who I did have a friend tell me that I could be there. That I could be their angel in right in heaven so yeah i heard that yeah yeah so i, heard, yeah. I, 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 I do have a position up there uh yeah. it's just i'm not gonna have my own downline i'm gonna right. be i'm gonna be on the corporate side yeah. of, of the mlm you're gonna be doing accounting and admin right? <laughs> exactly you're the, yeah you're answering phones yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> a manceptionist in uh in the eternal worlds I so i it. guess so first thing as you grow in your your knowledge as a demigod to become a full-blown emerald platinum level God. Um, you're going to actually become less free to do the things that you want to do because you're going to know more of the right things that you have to do. Right. So your existence becomes based more on imperatives rather than guess and check kind of experience and existence that we live right now. Like, I think this is the right thing to do. I'll give it a try and see what happens. That whole thrill of life doesn't exist anymore in eternal life because we know everything and there's nothing that we don't know. And so because we know everything, then we know exactly how to act in every circumstance. Right. You're bound. And then your agency is gone. We're bound. Exactly. So God doesn't have agency. So how did... Boy, oh boy. Uh, I'm really trying to make this work for me here. So, okay, okay, okay. So God doesn't have agency. He's bound by these laws, the laws of physics. I was taught, I don't know what you were taught growing up, but I was taught that- God has to work through natural law. God has to work through natural law. Yeah. Which then, like, why have God, right? There's that there's this middle middle step. If that's your description of God, which is yeah. what I was taught as a Mormon growing up, why have him there at all? Like he's, he's nothing. He doesn't do he's, anything. Yeah, I know. Well, it's like, it's a, this circle you run into with apologetic discussions where it's like, like you cover, you put out one fire and start another. Right. right? Yeah. And you're like constantly putting out fires and half of them are of your own making. And really like the answer is, you know what? I guess it doesn't make sense. You're kind of right. <laughs> yeah. It's a glorious mystery of the faith. And then you start to sound like a Catholic, right? And then, right. And, you're, and then you open up another can of worms. So the first thing you're going to do on day one as a God is you're going to know everything. And then you're going to act a certain way based on your perfect knowledge. And that's supposed to bring more joy 
And I guess like in some way, like if you woke up in the morning and you knew everything that you were supposed to do and how to have the exact perfect day, I don't know, would you do it? Probably not. I'm self-sabotaging. So are you <laughs> okay? Got some underlying <laughs> issues here. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a that's another uh Greek philosophical problem. I think it was Socrates as well who talked about right. you know, if you if you know what you should do, well, shouldn't you do it? You do it. But yeah. that's not that's not how how people work. I it guess works. God works yeah. that way because he's, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, you're going to be in this existence where you have to act according to your knowledge. You, I guess the individual could decide whether or not that sounds happy or sad. I think it's just that, where do you go from there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, well, one thing, one thing that I heard about a lot in the church kind of as a way to, you know, soften the whole idea of terrestrial and celestial kingdoms is that yeah. it's not it's not a punishment mm -hmm. god puts you where you will feel the most comfortable comfortable right and so if, if that's the case i mean i love my human terrestrial life like <laughs> send me there i don't care yeah <laughs> right i don't yeah so uh yeah work works for me but of course i'm applying for the job of god i want to i want to yeah. make my own worlds and everything We're so the next thing is is that you're going to probably get like world building 101 okay so if you've been playing minecraft Tons maybe of minecraft. that's going yeah. to be helpful here right okay um, perfect but you're creating everything spiritually before you create it physically and god mentions this through the prophet joseph smith in the doctrine and covenant or not the doctrine and covenants in the pearl of great price twice he mentions it in the book of moses in the book of abraham that all things were created spiritually before they had a physical existence so you're going to be forming things out of spirit matter like perpetually wow um is that like i don't know like <laughs> People so you're like design, engineering, development, and manufacturing for spirit entities of things. Do I get like a team? Can I like, can I, do I command people or do I just command the stuff? Like I have to think of all of it. Well, that's a very good question. Um, so anyway, <laughs> <laughs> in true apologetic fashion. Um, well, Okay, like if we just focus on the, the design development engineering part of your existence, you're making all things spiritually before they're being made physically. So every iteration, every physical deviation, every evolution, you're designing it because they can't happen on their own because things evolve because of death and selection and progression of ideal genetic traits. So you can't just kind of set it and forget it in a spiritual realm the same way that you do in a mortal realm. So you're making every iteration of every living thing that's well, all things spiritually. I think, okay, this, this makes a lot more sense to me now. So, okay. Whenever, whenever people ask, okay, why, why have miracles ceased? Why don't people get raised from the dead anymore? You know, why aren't we seeing these things? This makes sense because back, you know, 
in the early 1800s when when the pioneers were raising people from the dead and doing all these magical things there were yeah. so many fewer people on the earth but now because there's so so many billions of us there's billions more people now god is too caught up doing the manufacturing side of things so he he can't focus on like the miracles stuff and well, I, maybe maybe evolution is the miracle is that he is designing these things spiritually before they coincidentally evolve naturally right over generations right like he's he's predictive it's like predictive engineering this gives me a lot more faith you get about <laughs> about who god is thank you bishop for okay. answering my questions okay <laughs> I think it's like <laughs> it sounds I heard somebody say I think it was on the Mormon Stories podcast he was talking about how you're just like people you know hope have hope for you know a better life in the next life but then you hear about what God does all day yeah, and it like nothing's different right like really nothing's different you have to show up to work you have to do this. what changes yeah what changes yeah. what honestly actually changes you just hear oh won't that be glorious in the next life when what you have running water and plumbing like what, what well what's I mean, like one thing to to consider about god also is that god is an exalted man so he has like organs and kidneys and a digestive system like Right. When they see God sitting on his throne, is he on the toilet? Does God get diarrhea? Does God, right? Because that's a dysfunction of the body, but it's a dysfunction in some cases of gut bacteria. Like, are there celestial gut bacteria? In, right. In Your body these, can't like, operate without the bacteria biomes. So if we're in a perfected state, like, do we, there's a lot of, microbes that live on our body that serve a good purpose do we continue in a symbiotic relationship with them do they get exalted with me with us yeah and then do i have to feel bad for the bacteria who happen to be born on the person who doesn't get exalted <laughs> because then those those bacteria don't that's one like i've either. considered this topic for months and that is something that i have not considered is the resurrection of symbiotic microbes. I've never thought about that for either, but fully look, look where we are. Body, but those that like now their salvation is tied to the salvation of their host and they can't become exalted because their host body. Maybe that's what they mean to the when, they, when they say that your, that salvation is personal, but exaltation is a family, is a family they're not they're not talking about your mom your dad your siblings they're talking about the bacteria that live on your body that's your true family yeah i'd say like yes <laughs> why not like, yeah why, like all matters spiritual i spirit matter like i um what's another thing that god would be doing all day he's um finding car keys he's finding car he's helping people find their car keys like he's going through prayers he's also having and raising spirit children while trying to nurture and help the growth of his 
children who progress to the next level. Sorry, it was children who progress to the next level and are are um, living a mortal life. Right. So he's got trillions of spirit babies, billions of mortal people who are losing car keys in the most developed parts of the world. And right. Yeah, I think so. And then he's got like dozens of spiritual wives giving birth to these spiritual children, raising these spiritual, and then nagging him that he's at the office too often. Who do we, who, how do we know? I feel like the, the Mormon church does this thing about heavenly mother where it's like, yeah. oh, she's too sacred to be mentioned. And then no, you, it's just because we don't know which one she is. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then you, but then now they're starting to mention it more and they're like Heavenly yeah. Father and Heavenly Mother. And they talk about them as two individuals. Yeah. When in reality, you know, what if, what if my Heavenly Father is like Russell M. Nelson and yeah. is sealed to two women? Well, which, which one do I belong to? Right. Which is where, 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 who do I, who do I talk to? Right. And, but they don't talk about it yeah, like that. But in reality, God probably has a ton of wives. I like mean, I he's got to keep get, it all together. Yeah, We can get into the family tree and the, the nature of eternal families and why it doesn't make any sense if you want. Uh, sure. Let's go there. Like, okay. So. <clears throat> This goes back to a conversation my dad and I had in the temple years and years ago, like when I was still a deacon or a priest and we were doing baptisms and we're talking about eternal life and we're looking at the temple names we're doing and stuff like that. And my dad says, well, you know, son, like in the eternal world, like we're, we're actually spirit brothers and sisters, right? Like me, you, your mom, your aunts and uncles, grandparents. And so when we're resurrected, like we're all going to be the same age. So we're all really, like we're all going to be kind of more like friends kind of thing. And I was like, then the rest of it doesn't make sense. Like this idea of having like a house with picket fences and your kids living with you doesn't exist. Yeah. And because we're going to be the same age and restored to our perfect. So what, how are we an eternal family then? Well, maybe you're with your spouse. Okay. Well, what if you get remarried? Mm -hmm. You're married to two spouses. How's that going to work? Maybe you know, in dark corners, we'll say spiritual polygamy still exists in other ways. We'll say you get to choose which one you're going to be with, but then like, what does that do to the, the value you place on that relationship in mortality? Right. I can actually, by the time I got married, eternal families was making such little sense to me that what I'd rationalized was that I was actually just participating in an ordinance and the person I was participating in the ordinance with wasn't as important as the ordinance itself. I.e., my bride wasn't as important as the wedding, as the marriage. Interesting. The person wasn't as important. And because you start, you get some concerns about like, well, what if this person goes inactive? What if I go inactive? What if this, what if this, you know, what if I'm chaining myself down to the wrong person for eternity? I don't know. Life is so unknowable. Mm-hmm. But everybody's telling me that this decision has eternal consequences how can I make that decision when I'm 24? There's so much I don't know about myself, so much I don't know about her. Well, what's important is that I get sealed to somebody and God can match make in the eternities. Wow, that's sad. What's important is that the, and I think some people get 
that that rationalization isn't wasn't uncommon to me. You see that rationalization when family situations get more complicated, when there's divorces and remarriages. And it come, it's just another iteration of the, well, you know what? God will sort that all out in the end. Right, right. And that's what it always comes down to. Yeah. Is that God's going to sort out all our complex family issues yeah. in the end. But if you think about it, like, okay, so you need to be paired off with somebody in order to start world building. So what matters is, is that you got sealed. It doesn't really matter who you got sealed to. And everybody's part of the same big family. So really in an eternal perspective, there's no difference between the relationship between me and you, who we, we've only known each other for a few months. There's no difference between our relationship and my own flesh and blood children and my own flesh and blood parents. Right. Because these 80 years of mortality and maybe the 60 years that we overlap are a drop in the bucket compared to trillions upon trillions upon trillions of years of existence. Right. Yeah. We're just, we're just buddies for the, for this brief moment. We just got together for coffee once. Exactly. Like our families are, yes. In, in an eternal perspective, they, how are they more significant than relationships we could have had before this life and the relationships we'll have after this life? Yeah. You're telling me that this, you know, this blip in eternity is going to become significantly meaningful in an eternal existence. That doesn't make sense, especially when spiritually I'm just as related to everybody else as what I am to my own flesh and blood family. Right. And we always got the lesson of like, oh, we've been preparing for the sprint and this is the sprint. This is like the Olympic sprint that we showed up for. I never but got that. I never got that one. I, I got that generational in seminary. Gap. Yeah. Yeah. And sounds like analogies are getting worse as time goes on. <laughs> yeah. They're not great. Okay. Okay. Uh, we would, we were told like, oh, in the pre-existence, we were preparing, preparing, preparing. And yeah. now we're doing the sprint. And now we're, we're like out there making this happen. And, and even like, that's like, ridiculous, right? Well, because even in the Olympics, they run so heats before they, you, you do your heats yeah. before you do the metal match. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To kind of you know, weed people out because they couldn't bring 150 sprinters to the Olympics and have one race. Yeah. You've got to do heats and and people get trials and do-overs and second attempts. But in this sprint, we only get one attempt. It's like your first run yeah. is a potential gold medal match. Yeah. And you don't even remember how to run from before. Also, right. Yes. They like wipe your memory with the little MIB thing. <laughs> They wipe your memory and now, and now they say, okay, go, go practice everything you've learned. Good luck. And it's like, well, dude, I don't know anything. Dude, right? That's an interesting thing. Cause I remember being told about how I'd been prepared from before the world was for the challenges of our day. Right. And then feeling so inadequate, especially compared to other people for the things I was doing that it was just like, how was I, how was that real or helpful? But it, at the same time, you're kind of expecting this divine intervention of some innate ability to come along and yeah. give you power to overcome all your problems. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like, oh, you're not given any challenge that you can't overcome. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm given tons of challenges I can't overcome. You know, yeah, I mean, like, like, okay, tell that to like uh, uh, someone from Auschwitz. Right. <laughs> right. Like, you can say that when you live in the richest country in the world. Right. You can you can pat them on the knee and, and say, 
oh, it's just, you know, you were chosen because you're strong. Could you imagine? Yeah. Could you imagine you go to like a poor country, you go to Haiti, yeah. the, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. You go there and you sit down and you, you tell them as a missionary, you sit down with them and you, you say, hey, listen, God prepared you for this. You can get through this. And they're like, get, get through what? Like, what, what, what am I supposed to get through? Oh, well, you just got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What an American imperialistic yeah. idea to like show up to another country and be like, so we brought capitalism and the capitalist Jesus with us. <laughs> and, you know, you're, you can, you can do it. You can achieve the Are American you- dream and you can like, and it's just the most unbelievable thing. And how demeaning is that? To yeah. tell somebody, oh, well, you were born in a poor country because you're stronger than the rest of us. I admire you. It's like, this person has a sucky situation. You stop admiring them for their yeah. strength. Yeah. Why don't you help them? <laughs> right? Are you still in a bit of an anger phase? Um, I'm an angry, ca- <laughs> I'm an angry person. <laughs> okay. Nice, nice. I I I have yeah. struggled with my anger all my life. I'm not oh, okay. like I'm not angry at the church, I would yeah. say, and I'm not angry at my friends or family, but I'm angry about me going along with it for so long. Right. right. And at the you know, at how hard it is to communicate with people, how backwards what they're doing is what they're doing is yeah because like you go on a mission and okay yeah that sounds really nice i'm sharing something that i love right Mm -hmm. i don't go on a mission for doctor who yeah right like you don't proselytize about that you need to watch this this will change your life and you show up the next day and you're like and you show up until they get a restraining order on you or until they tell you to stop right like you don't do that with things you love it's it's colonialism you know you're showing right. up and and imposing these ideas that honestly people are fine without yes yeah yeah you don't need yeah. jesus bishop <laughs> wow wow okay all right so <laughs> there's my rant there's a, that's a good rant yeah um okay so getting into uh, just like the natures of eternal families of spreading this message that is sometimes not helpful, the idea of being prepared before you were born. I think all of these ideas, one, like they really suit a certain Western world view, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So the idea of the eternal family that the LDS church communicates really works well for people who have a regu- uh, a stable nuclear family, right? But it just becomes more complicated if the family is any more complicated than that, right? Right. So when the nuclear family was an ideal in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, whatever, then, oh, wow, there's this great synchronization between what the Western world is valuing and what the Mormon church is now valuing. And they make those things the same and and the Mormon church experiences significant growth. And now that families are becoming more complicated and we're becoming more accepting of complicated families, the nature of an eternal nuclear family just 
stops being valuable for people, right? Yeah. Because you start hearing about people consciously uncoupling and and like step parents all and and biological parents all having great relationships with each other. And it's kind of even it must get down to the kid's perspective of like, I like my bio mom and my bio dad, my step parents or whatever to me. I wish I could just be with my bio parents, but they both like they got divorced and sealed to other people. Where am I going to end up in the right. life hereafter? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And or I, I, I like my dad and his first step wife, not his second step wife so much. Now the, the mother figure that I'm connected to is not bio and yeah. not presently in my life. <laughs> like what's my family supposed to be like? Right. It's a, it's a mess. And then you even get, uh, once you add, and I know there there are certain people in the Q15 who really care a lot about the family proclamation more than others certainly do. Yeah. And I know that there are stake presidents and bishops who are in support of homosexual marriage. And you get this weird, like the church's idea of marriage is this very specific way, right? This very yeah. Western yeah. 1960s bowling alone nuclear family kind yeah. of idea right and then that doesn't really work now right that's yeah. not that's not a, th- a thing right yeah even even in the church family relationships yeah, are even, more even in the church right? i know tons of couples who have split up still in the same ward they you know co-parent they write and make these healthy relationships and my thought is, well, the church is going to have to change its tune on this, and I'm sure it will. Uh, my, I've told Mormon friends this. They don't like me making predictions about how the church will change. Yeah. But my prediction is that homosexuals within the decade, within 10 years, will be allowed to be married to each other, fully active and engaged in the church, fully allowed to attend the temple, everything. They just won't be sealed. That's my, that's my prediction. We'll see. We'll see. How well, that like 10 years gives you Bednar as the president of the church. Oh yeah. We'll see. Right. Yeah. It's gonna, there's also like a significant doctrinal rewrite that'll be required because mm-hmm. Oh, I get like they wouldn't be sealed. Okay, so that's where you're drawing the line, is right? Sealing. Exactly, because then it's still doctrinally safe, right? Yeah, yeah. You're like, yeah. well, they're not together forever, but God understands and appreciates the importance mm. of mortal happiness, right? Okay, but then it becomes problematic with lesbian marriages because lesbian marriages have no priesthood in the home. Well, and that's why so then, I think like, women are going to get the priesthood, and then they'll say, "Oh, women have always had the priesthood. Look at the temple." Okay. So they write in the, they've, yeah, they've got it. Because they've already started doing that. There are already talks that have been given and conversations had where people are like, oh yeah, single mothers have priesthood in the home. They're the the priesthood authority in their home, right? They just don't have the right keys or something like that. Right. right? And so there's like this shift in the language that is being used. And you use the, like, like they wear the garments of the holy priesthood. Right, right they, exactly. Yeah, the yeah, priesthood yeah. power is there, you know. And they wear they wear the robes of the priesthood and Yeah, and I had I had a bishop tell me once he said, What's the difference between 
a dad putting his hands on his son's head and a mother praying beside the the child's bed that their child will get better, right? You Mm -hmm. really think God would be up there being like, oh, what's that? I can't hear that. Your hands aren't on his head. Well, like like that goes to show, like, what is God doing all day? God is managing this incompetent bureaucracy, right? Right. And and he's got to perpetually fact check that prayers are said in the right way. Yeah. And that hands are on heads when prayers are given. And he's deciding which prayers to honor and, and which ones to dishonor based on wording word choice and yeah and and so what like what does that say about god as a being when i mean like it's one thing for us to say no you have to say the sacrament prayers word perfect right that's you know because that's what we do but when you say like because that's what god says we have to do what does that say about who god is and what he does all day right yeah he's he's very particular he's you know, counting everything, making sure everything's in place. Yeah. Like it's all like you, you should be expecting a final tithing settlement at judgment, right? Right. Right. Yeah. That's going to be the final question. Yeah. Like, are you a full tithe payer? And you're like, I hope so. And then he pulls out the records and finds out your penny short. And do you know, like I used to audit for a Japanese company instead of your gross. (laughs) Like he, he's like, Oh, you paid on your net income. Right. Yeah. Sorry. We can't let you in. You're yeah. supposed to pay on your gross. I know it was kind of unclear there and different people said different things, but what am I supposed to do? I'm bound by the laws of physics. Like I like I did an audit at a Japanese oil company and we're going through expense report. And I'm just talking to like the two or three white people who work there. And so usually, I mean, for for Western companies that I've worked for, when you submit expenses, if you're off by a penny, maybe if you're off by a 10 cents, if your receipts don't match, maybe even up to a dollar, they're not going to hold or question reimbursement. But they were saying when they send expense reports to get paid from head office, they question if your receipts are off from your expense report by a penny. Wow. Right. And I, I worked with a girl who's Japanese and same thing, like she would reconcile accounts to the penny. And usually like in accounting, you work within bounds of materiality and you just say, oh, we're off by five cents, just whatever. Right. But mm-hmm. she would go down to the penny and I was just talked to her. Well, my parents were from Okinawa and uh, what? And I was like, well, how old are they? And they were kind of born in the final years of the war. Mm. And what call of duty taught me is that Okinawa was like the Japanese last stand. Like that was the final ground battle in Japan before they dropped the atomic bombs. So her parents grew up in one of the more ravished ravaged uh japanese islands and had nothing and that's why it was everything was down to the penny yeah and it was just like it was a little frustrating to work with so then you imagine on an eternal scale god is reconciling down to the penny down to the word and prayers down to the hand placement down to oil versus no oil versus were they completely submerged or was there a little hair sticking up out of of their head did their toenails come up like right and it's kind of, it's one thing I think to say as God, I give you these rituals to help you find meaning and purpose. Mm-hmm. It's another thing for like, God demands that this thing be exactly perfect. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ doesn't make up for, he makes up for a lot of mistakes. He doesn't make up for these kind of mistakes. Not those ones. Yeah. Yeah. And he'll, he'll even comfort you through your poverty. 
and through your starvation and your disease and everything. But he's not. But don't say be the there. prayer wrong. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Did you watch The Incredibles? Yeah, yeah. You know when he's like at the start when he's working as an insurance adjuster or whatever, and he's mm-hmm. like accepting these claims to help people out. Right. And and his boss is like, they're penetrating the bureaucracy, <laughs> and like you're. It's because like in an overly bureaucratic and structured organization, like it's it's following the rules that's important. It's not helping people or fulfilling the company mission that's important. Right. Like this is why people get frustrated with HR usually mm-hmm. is because HR is tends to be bureaucratic mm-hmm. and it's not really, it's like the one part of the business that isn't focused on getting things done. It's just like paperwork, right? It mm-hmm. is the paperwork hub of the business. And and so like, it's just overly bureaucratic and they're like, did you use the right form when you hired these people? And it's like, they're not worried about whether you hired the right person. They're not worried about how that person's performing. It's you didn't use the right template. Please get them re- to re-sign their offer letter on the correct template using the correct logo. It's like, none of this is important. Yeah. But it is right? apparently. But it is. But to God, those types of things are vitally and crucially Important down to the fact where he's offended when we use the wrong name of his church. Yeah. Yeah. Which I have a prediction about that too. Okay. This is, Go on. This is, my, this is my prediction. I think that the, the church is trying to move more and more away from the Book of Mormon. Right. I think it's trying to distance itself because they realize it's not historically accurate. It's untenable. Yeah. yeah. You, can't, yeah. You, cannot, you cannot hold on to it. Right. Yeah. Like if somebody wants to believe in a God and a higher power, I I get it. Right. Like I can appreciate that idea. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially if it brings you comfort. I know a lot of people who it does bring comfort to. I get it. But the Book of Mormon, you cannot like it's indefensible. Like it's just not historically accurate. And so I think the church realizing that it's coming apart. Mm-hmm. I th- I feel like they're trying to distance themselves from that as a whole. There's almost, you know, as much as I'd agree that there's no real defense of the Book of Mormon, um, it makes me sad to think about the church distancing itself from that mm-hmm. and and giving up on that. It's almost like in a way, like, I don't want them to give up on the zaniness that makes them what they are. <laughs> Right. You know, and just become another Christian church. Right. It's like, no, like keep that makes fighting the unique. good fight. Don't let the critics win. Like, don't let anybody stop you. Joseph Smith did not let anybody stop him. Right. 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 He just kept going with new crazy crap after new crazy <laughs> thing. Right. Yeah. But I think that's one thing where I get a little frustrated when people directly blame leaders of the church for what's happening or things. It's they are all part of this human machine. Yeah. Yeah. Right? They're part, they got sucked into the bureaucracy. They didn't make it. Exactly. And that, that's what I mean. Like with that story by Clive Barker, the hills in the hills, the cities mm-hmm. is that these cities form massive giants out of the people in the cities, all strapping themselves together. And it's one big ugly machine mm-hmm. without any individual kind of leader. Yeah. And that's what the church has become is just this massive, gluttonous blob of people and and nobody's really controlling it yeah yeah like except for the, like the entity is now it's like it's become self-aware yeah. and it is now 
right? And it's like yeah. there could be a bunch of diehards on the truth of book, the Book of Mormon, but if in consultation with the marketing committee, they've decided we need to over 20 years start phasing out the literal truth claims and focus more on whatever, mm-hmm. that's what's going to happen. Yeah, like marketing research and statistics are going to govern and rule the day regardless of what the prophet says. Yeah. Like yeah. he can say, make his weird general conference remarks, but the, the research committee, there's, well, there's so even, many, even the general conference remarks get reviewed, you know, right. they don't yeah. get to just get up there and say whatever they want. You look at uh, uh Packer, right? Yeah. He, he said so many things over the pulpit that then gets edited yeah. out before it goes into the enzyme and is published. You can, yeah. there are a lot of things you can't find that that he said because it was racist and homophobic and sexist and just generally inappropriate and with all the like with all the like how they keep burying the essays deeper and deeper in the website and how like they can now change the handbook kind of digitally without repercussion is a 92 93 94 95 year old man actually signing off on all of that Right. And knowing what he's doing. Yeah. And even like with the $100 billion or whatever, $140 billion fund where it's only the presiding bishop and the president of the church who know knew about it. Like, do you think really that the organization over time has not built enough internal control and process to prevent a senile old person from ruining that fund? There is no way even though he knows about it, who is really controlling that money? Nobody. Like, Nobody. Yeah. Right. It's, it's just committee thing. layers and layers of committees are controlling it. Right. Yeah. 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 Layers and layers of councils and nobody gets the whole picture. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's hard to actually. And I think this might be just kind of a, a sense of growing and maturing out of the ex Mormon experience is that it is actually really, really hard to hold the Q15 accountable for anything. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're, they're stuck in the system. They are right? just as much a victim as anybody at any level. Right. Yeah. I mean, even, even if one of them got up there and they were like, Oh, this is like, I kind of had my suspicions that this was bogus, but then they get there and they're like, so I'm like Jesus as apostle now. Like yeah. I am Peter. Yeah. Well, uh, where is he? You know, like, yeah. uh, Hello. Uh, anybody, anybody out there, right? Because a yeah. lot of them are really smart, well-educated guys. Yeah, a lot of them probably get there and they're like, uh, "Yeah, this is probably all kind of fake." But In what am head. I supposed to do? I have my six kids and my good life, and you know, like I'm getting a paycheck. And if yeah. I leave, suddenly now I'm a heretic, and all you know, my name is slandered. Where am I supposed to go? I don't want to be. How do I like get another job? Political yeah how do i get yeah. another job like all of these concerns yeah so of course they're going to keep towing the line yeah exactly so there's something when it's when dallin h Oaks gets up and says something homophobic and everybody's disappointed it's like really like why are you disappointed why yeah, are, what you, were you expecting? Why are you surprised it, it's like yeah i don't agree with what he says but why are you you seem shocked that this guy would be saying this thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, didn't you grow up in the same church I did? Yeah. Where like, yeah. that's, that's what I was taught. I remember when they were legalizing gay marriage, which it makes me mad that it's like something that had to be legalized, you know, yeah, like yeah. who cares? 
right? Yeah. It's my mindset. But I remember being told, oh, you know, like some countries are starting to let gay people get married and we don't believe in that, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was warned that I would have to like defend uh, the man and woman marriages and stuff. And I'm thinking, well, uh, okay, you know, and but then but then my family changes their tune as I got older. Yeah. And now my best friend is gay. And my family's like, oh, that's nice. Instead of being like, well, you have to help him come back to the light. To the, right? Yeah. Like they change their tune over time. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, some people in the church, it takes longer or will never happen with. So how old were you when they legalized gay marriage in the country you live in? I was 10. You're 10. Okay. Or yeah. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. Think. So you do remember I was, uh, I was in high school and it was such a nothing thing here. And I remember actually right. in church, it was just like, uh, write a letter to your, uh, legislator. Yeah. That was it. I think it was like once or twice. Yeah. Um, but then when it's in the States, we were like talking about, we were even talking about it here like every week. And I'm like, what are we going to achieve here? Like we already, we dealt with this and we moved on. Yeah. Nobody's getting persecuted for refusing to do gay marriage, wedding cakes, like just doesn't. Right. Well, and when it happened in coming. the States, suddenly it becomes a topic for the church. Church. Yeah. Right. And yeah. for the church to be touting, oh, we're a global church, we're a global church, but only American legislation affects us. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We're really concerned with what happens in the U.S. politically, but we're politically neutral and also we're worldwide, but not. And I guess that that's kind of like uh, like anything in the church ideologically, they say whatever. But when you start breaking it down into its practicalities, it makes no sense mm-hmm. or doesn't square with reality. So just like the existence of God, the existence of being a Mormon God, you are. It sounds nice, I, uh, you know, ultimate cosmic power, just like the genie in Aladdin. Yeah. But you find out there's teeny bitty living space or whatever he says, yeah. itty bitty living space. Yeah. And I think that sums up the existence of god and the and, and becoming a god in mormonism is that yeah it sounds great ultimate cosmic power but you're going to be drowning in paperwork yeah drowning in raising children drowning in manufacturing spiritual entities where are you going to have time like that's what you do with ultimate cosmic power and then answering prayers and helping people find keys yeah i will happily take my terrestrial living and yeah. and uh, then- gut biomes then I, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> okay. Any other thoughts on that? No, no. Okay. I, I think you've answered all of my questions, Bishop. Thank good, you. Good. Good. Thank you. Ble- uh, bless you, my child. Hey, uh, <laughs> I'm doing the cross. You can't you see can't. us crossing, but we're crossing but, ourselves. Which I actually did one time. Maybe we can talk about my Catholic experience someday. That sounds good. In the name of Jesus okay. Christ. Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <laughs>